Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass Pianci. I'm joined, as usual, by my partner in crime, Mr. Bennett Tomlin. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Cass? Tired, drinking some coffee. It's pretty late for it, but I need it today. Uh, we are going over something that we didn't go over previously, which I found interesting. Um, we've, we have talked about Wormhole. Uh, we did a full episode on that, though at the time, I don't think we understood who had done it or what what it was about um we still don't know who's done wormhole right but we didn't yeah we it's i i guess it's just very curious to me that one was so big uh the other big one that i we've mentioned in other episodes is definitely uh axie axie infinity ronin network they got hacked for the biggest bridge hack ever that was also last year i believe so two of the biggest hacks ever last year and we also uh had over a billion in bridge hacks alone in 2022 so it was a crazy year but today we're talking about Harmony because they're in the news again, the Horizon Bridge on the Harmony blockchain, which happened last year. Again, one of the bigger ones, roughly uh, $100 million. And basically this was done, it's been confirmed by the Lazarus Group, which also did the Ronin Network, if I'm remembering correctly. That is correct. They're moving these funds, and that's why we're going to talk about it. Let's get started with what actually happened last year to the Horizon Bridge. Their bridge like many so-called bridges, was a glorified multi-signature wallet. And it seems what happened is their private keys got compromised, is what we knew up until a few days ago when the FBI issued their report confirming that the Lazarus Group was behind this hack and detailing a little bit more about how they did it. In some respects, it was very similar to the 2015 Bitstamp hack, or what we believe happened with the 2016 Bitfinex hack, where it was a spear phishing attack with well-designed malware exploits that once the user opened them on their system, would then be able to compromise and get the private keys. It seems Lazarus Group was able to successfully spear fish enough key holders at Harmony to be able to compromise the bridge and withdraw a whole bunch of assets. And to be clear, they're multi-sig was composed of if i and I, I believe i'm getting this correctly i don't know what the deal is now um i know they're still kicking somehow i believe there were four multi-sigs and you basically just need to compromise two of those multi-sigs to compromise the bridge itself which ultimately is what happened right so they they compromised this chain this chain is as you said ethereum finance smart chain we, we got this hundred million dollars that was moved into a uh, numerous state numerous coins um it was in USDT, it was in Ethereum, it was in RAP Bitcoin, um, and, but they transferred, if I'm, and again, hopefully I'm getting this correctly, they immediately transferred all of it into Ethereum, is that right? I think they swapped at least the majority of it pretty quickly into Ethereum. They especially had to make sure they did that with the centralized stablecoins, Circle and Tether and those, because those can be frozen by the issuer, right? And so I know those were quickly swapped for Ethereum. I don't know if all of the assets were immediately swapped for Ethereum, but broadly their goal was to get them into Ethereum because Ethereum is harder to freeze or stop. Ultimately, they got this Ethereum. They did Tornado Cash. They basically mixed it, right? They mixed this Ethereum at some point after stealing it. But people were still, or, or, or did they not? Was that just recently? So I don't think they did use Tornado Cash. I don't think the Harmony hacker did. Before their recent 
little thing that we're about to get to. They did pass it through Railgun, which is a chain-hopping, zero-knowledge privacy protocol. And then they started moving it onto a whole bunch of different exchanges, including, notably, Huobi, which is which is run by Justin Sun. They won't say it's run by Justin Sun, but holy shit, it's run by Justin Sun. Can we all just agree it's run by Justin Sun? I mean, I think even Justin Sun is ready to admit that now, right? <laughs> kind of. I think so. He'll half admit it. Yeah, and so tens of millions of dollars were transferred on to Huobi and then immediately transferred off and then sent to a whole bunch of different addresses and I think mixed again before then moving on to some other exchanges. So... What they were clearly trying to do with this quick move through Huobi as this exchange was to try to add this extra level of mixing to their assets. Because as it goes into the hot wallet and then out of the hot wallet into these other addresses, these coins are fungible. The Ethereum in a single EOA account is fungible. All of it's going in and it's coming out. It's not like Bitcoin where you can track specific unspent transaction outputs. And so by sending it to the exchange and immediately withdrawing, you're helping confuse the path of the funds. We basically had this major hack for roughly $100 million, I believe in total, it was actually $99.7 million worth of assets at the time. So this happened in June of last year. This is pretty interesting to me that what happened was they drained a bridge for all of its assets or most of its assets, roughly $100 million at the time. They did some coin hopping maneuvers. They consolidated their assets. And now we're seeing eight months later, North Korean hacking group Lazarus is now doing something with them. I guess a bunch of it was frozen. I want to say like 150 Bitcoin worth got frozen, which would be a chunk of it, but certainly not the whole thing. I think Zach XBT, who we've had on the show before, identified at least 26.4 million, which was pulled off of Huobi after being deposited in there. And so that part definitely was not frozen. And we're saying frozen, we should really more say seized, right? Like Huobi took possession That's of right. these assets before they could be withdrawn by the hacker. And then what we saw after their mixing and stuff is they left Huobi was them trying to get it to a bunch of other like small OTC desks, small exchanges. And so it looks like Lazarus Group is trying to convert cryptocurrency into dirty fiat to fund their missile program, their nuclear program. That seems to be what some reporting has suggested the Lazarus Group funds are used for. So I just did the math. You said roughly 150 Bitcoin, I think that uh, amounts to at right now, current prices. I'm suggesting that what it's 22,000 i haven't checked the that's price recently broadly right so i'm just saying 22,000 uh that's that's we'll just go with three and a half million dollars so that's a 3.5 percent fee if they got the rest off of wobi uh and were able to move it that 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 is a 3.5 percent transaction fee for being able to move the rest of these funds these illicit funds for them, hopefully, I guess, right? If they're if the idea was to do this is to be able to exchange that for either US dollars or services of some kind. I don't know what services you could get with actual Ethereum, but I would think you would be trading this for US dollars, UN, yeah. or some other like currency that you could then buy goods from any allies that you have. If they got the the rest of those funds off of Wobi, I I don't think the story is Wobi freezes 3.5% of the funds. I think the story is they moved 97% of their funds. But did they move all of the all of the money onto Wobi or just a small chunk? I am honestly 
not sure. And part of the issue hmm. here is these quote these hacks are always quoted in dollar amounts, right? But it eventually became Ethereum and whatever else, right? And that asset is volatile. <laughs> and so I don't know how much of the numbers we're seeing were changed because the price of Ethereum has fallen and how much might be them moving other funds through other avenues that they weren't trying to mix or obscure through Huobi, right? I'm going through Zach's work, which is great. We also, this friend of the show, we've had him on. Uh, so I, you know, I urge anyone who isn't already following Zach XBT on Twitter, obviously go ahead and do that. They were able to withdraw, according to Zach, $38 million worth of, worth of Bitcoin, which is 10% of the total was frozen, is what we can say, which is better than nothing. I don't know. Not great. But still, again, like I'm saying, the story doesn't seem to be. So Wobi seizes all of, all of this... Uh, cryptocurrency and does a good job of stopping the North Korean hackers from deploying their capital, it seems to me like the story is North Korean hackers are able to obfuscate majority of the funds they put on Wobi. Yeah. And I think something I might have not fully appreciated here, did they swap at Wobi? Did they transact? Because they came in with Ethereum and came out with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So they didn't just like hit the exchange and then withdraw. They hit the exchange, transacted, sold this Ethereum into and then, Bitcoin and then pulled it out. <laughs> Which is definitely worse for Wobi. Also worth pointing out, he, he shows uh, an example, we'll link to it, but he shows an example of the Lazarus group chain hopping funds. And the example he shows is Bitcoin to Avalanche. Uh, we've never talked about that on the show, but that is another blockchain. So Bitcoin to Avalanche to Ethereum to BitTorrent, which is not something you would necessarily suspect to Tron. And BitTorrent and Tron are both Justin Sun coins. So I don't know, like they're relying on a Justin Sun exchange and then they're chain hopping to two Justin Sun cryptocurrencies. Like it seems like the terrorists and criminals are enjoying the concepts that Justin Sun is building out. Yes. We did an episode on Justin Sun. You and I have very strong opinions on Justin Sun. I certainly do. <laughs> and it is strange that they chose Wobi to do this. I don't think it's that strange that like two Justin Sun coins were involved in this chain hopping. My understanding is that's how this privacy protocol is supposed to work as you move through a whole bunch of chains to try to obscure it as much as possible. Bit, yeah, I get that. BitTorrent, I, I, I get BitTorrent that. was a little weird, but yeah, no, you're right broadly that like Justin Sun has ended up, whether knowingly or unknowingly, providing useful infrastructure for criminals. And I think that's kind of the question, right? Knowingly or unknowingly. <laughs> I'm interested in why they would use BitTorrent particularly to chain hop. I don't because it's a I, dead like, chain. I don't suspect that bit uh, that I don't suspect that BitTorrent is getting a ton of volume. It's a dead chain. But I got maybe I'm wrong, right? Um, my understanding is it's a dead chain, no real development, very little use. Trading volume, 15, 15 and a half million. I mean, in the scheme of things, that isn't very but, much. But, and it but seems like, like on chain high. volume, like people actually transacting with oh, it, I think is. Yeah, that's true. Far that's less. true. Probably nothing. Yeah, probably nothing. And so I was just looking back. I think it was Binance who ended up being the one who froze those Bitcoins we were previously discussing. It almost exclusively trades on Justin Sun um, exchanges, 30% of it, of its volume is on Poloniex and Wobi. <laughs> and the rest is just spread out between a bunch of other things. But again, this points to the idea of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that suggests that when they're 
chain hopping, those are the cheapest chains for them to transact in. Well, okay, and that's so... why they're w willing to do that. Is that why? Because I... the volume doesn't benefit them. We understand yeah, that I... on-chain volume certainly doesn't benefit. I benefit have them, only so... kept the barest of looks at BitTorrent since Justinson acquired it, um, and I just checked it out again, and it seems part of its own purpose is to serve as some kind of cross-chain infrastructure. Like their hmm. advertising is the chain connecting the chains. And so now I wonder if the reason it was used is because it is useful for chain hopping specifically because of how it's built, which again, I haven't kept that much up on because it's Justin Sun doing Justin Sun bullshit. I'm wondering if, if our perception of Justin Sun has been, I guess, misguided insofar as perhaps a lot of the stuff he's doing is quite deliberate and the crowds that he's attracting are exactly who he wants to. Also, I see him getting a lot more praise as he still exists even in the cryptocurrency industry, um, which I think is funny. Like, I feel like everyone's just giving him props because he hasn't been arrested yet. <laughs> Continued existence um, <laughs> is now the standard for excellence in cryptocurrency. <laughs> the bar is so low. Have you Not avoided bankruptcy <laughs> over the last two years? Not yet been indicted and are still currently breathing? You're a hero. Yeah, I, this is, it's funny because it's like, I'm reflecting on it. And I'm like, literally though, like the fact that Doquan has been charged but is not sitting in a prison cell. People are like, celebrate him, celebrate this man. And it's like, ay, 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 Kyle ay, Davies ay, and Zusu are trying to raise 25 million to do whatever it is uh, they're doing. It's a comedy. It's a fucking comedy. I just wonder if a lot of this is very deliberate and as much as like it clearly attracts the wrong kind of attention, right? Here we are talking about a known North Korean hacking group that's done insane things before like they literally almost were able to hack the f the fed do you do you know that story have we talked about that before i don't think we've talked about it i do remember that they like broadly north korea switched from trying to rob banks to robbing cryptocurrencies because it was so much easier to get the cryptocurrencies 35 fraudulent instructions were issued by security hackers via the swift network to illegally transfer close to a billion dollars from the federal reserve bank of new york belonging to a Bangladesh bank, the central bank of Bangladesh. These guys are clearly quite talented and able to steal money almost, uh, they, they did steal, they didn't steal a billion dollars, but they did steal money essentially from not only the central bank of Bangladesh, but the Federal Reserve of New York. So um, it's kind of crazy that, like you said, now they've just moved on to like, oh, you mean we can steal like 10 times as much by just hacking these civilian networks instead that aren't protected and have all of their code open source and haven't checked for errors and are simple multi-sigs that we can break. I don't know. It's troubling to me that it, it I, I would be worried if I was Justin Sun. And it's funny, I kind of figured that we wouldn't be discussing bridges in 2023, but I think this is going to come up. Like I don't, they're not going away. They're not going away and this is going to come up again. Yes. It absolutely will. I I mean there's two more we intend to discuss in this episode alone. But I do think there is kind of an interesting dynamic I want to focus on here. One of the other bridges we want to discuss is wormhole, which we discussed in the past and at the time was one of the largest cryptocurrency hacks ever with about 300 million being taken out of the bridge. 
that hacker had since swapped basically all of it into Ether and has now started this absurd process of going levered long on staked Ether. So they swapped their Ether for wrapped staked Ether, borrowed DAI against that, used that to buy more staked Ether, wrapped that, borrowed more DAI against that, used that to buy more staked Ether, wrapped that, borrowed more DAI against that, and used that to buy more staked Ether until the hacker of the wormhole bridge has ended up as the fifth largest holder of staked Ether. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, one, it's wild to watch this hacker just go levered long on staked Ethereum, but also because it illustrates something we talked about back in our episode about the 2016 Bitfinex hack when we were talking about Rosalcon and uh, Dutch. It's hard to cash out hot cryptocurrencies. These groups do it. Like, Lazarus Group works with a variety of money launderers around the world to be able to make these conversions and to eventually get this into cash. But it is challenging for these hackers to get the majority of their funds out in usable currency. And so we see them take these moves where they end up more in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, right? Because it is so challenging to cash out. And I think this wormhole hacker behavior of leveraging long in, into the cryptocurrency ecosystem is an interesting contrast to the Harmony Bridge hacker who just keeps mixing and chain hopping, mixing and chain hopping, and sending to rogue desks and exchanges to cash out what they can. And so like, it looks to me like they're probably two pretty distinct groups with different motivations. It's fascinating as well that like, yeah, as you said, okay, so one of them is like becoming this whale and the other, it's like, it's wild because it's almost like the Lazarus group is poisoning wells as it goes to these different places to cash out. Who's going to bear responsibility, right? If they cash out money, if they're able to move money through these exchanges and they're able to cash out into something either less transparent or more obfuscated or however they make it work for themselves or straight up cash, um, who is going to have to bear that burden? And I suspect it's the exchanges and the people who work with them. I think poisoning the well was a really interesting way to put it because you'll remember from when Tornado Cash was added to the list of OFAC sanctions, one of the justifications is that Lazarus Group had used Tornado Cash in the past. And so now, any other mixer they end up using, any of these privacy protocols they end up passing their coins through, are potentially future targets of the global U.S. sanctions regime. It's a tough position to, to be in. And I'm not, uh, in a sense, I empathize. I mean, geez, what are you supposed to do? I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know how you're supposed to deal with that in any meaningful sense. Clearly, if CZ and Justin Sun, two of the biggest names in the industry, are working together to try to stop these guys from using their exchanges, and yet they're able to move, I don't know how, 90% of their money still into and out of places like Wobi. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you solve that. That seems like a potentially very serious problem for a centralized exchange. I think, and there have been cases of this in the past, especially with like U.S. domiciled exchanges, where there have been prohibitions or limitations on people depositing 
using coins that were recently mixed. It's not necessarily common or universal, but you can dig through Reddit or the old forums and find exchanges basically saying, you're set to withdraw only, you deposited from this mixer, we don't want to do business with you anymore. I think that it is possible that is going to become a more common compliance strategy for exchanges to just reduce some of that risk. Then you can track the known hot addresses and hot coins and reduce the risk that those are going to quickly be mixed, deposited, and then withdrawn, right? Because you're not going to let them take those out once you see them come from the mixer, right? And so potentially, I think that there's going to be more pressure on exchanges to take more proactive steps like that. So I think that's maybe accurate, but I, but my issue, my, I guess my issue with it is that I think, and we see this with banks as well. We see this with all kinds of platforms. I think in LA, uh, even clubs and stuff are like, basically what I'm going to suggest is that there's a, you understand there's rules that are going to be broken and fines that you're going to have to pay. And literally as a part of your budget, and I suspect this is at every, cent again, every centralized cryptocurrency exchange, a part of your budget is just designated, okay, these are the fines we're expecting to pay for the next year for breaking OFAC sanctions, for uh, offering unregistered securities, for whatever, right? And there's a trade-off that you're making because you're like, eh, we're paying maybe $100 million in fines, but we're gonna make $300 million from offering all this stuff and breaking all these rules. So who cares? And I think that having the volume, allowing these tradable markets and allowing people to do a certain amount of KYC free trading on your platforms, like it's always gonna be an easy and attractive option to these business owners, uh, I think is my way of putting it. Especially if the potential penalties that they're paying are simply fines. Yeah, and I think this is kind of what it comes down to. If there is ever meaningful enforcement against offshore exchanges by the United States, are they going to be looking for, like, death penalties, take these places out, lock these people up kind of things? Or are they going to be willing to take large fines and settlements and things like that? In theory, like, you would think that the differentiator between those two types of cases should be whether or not the exchange was making a good faith effort. And so things like exchanges collaborating to freeze bad assets and collaborate with the Department of Justice on that is probably going to make it more likely you get a fine rather than a death penalty. I think that's a fair assessment. And again, reason for me to suspect that we're not going to see meaningful transitions or changes to plenty of these exchanges. While we might see more from a few or maybe even these major exchanges like Binance have being kind of forced to, I think overall that's right. Like that isn't the design. <laughs> that's not the, that's not going to drive a uh, potential business to you. On the note of Binance, if I can take over for a second. Yeah, please. Binance kind of has their own bridge. It's not really a bridge, but Binance issues 94 tokens on Binance Smart Chain that are supposed to be backed by tokens from other chains and things like that. It's basically a bridge, except they're more open about it being administered by Binance. And a few days ago, Bloomberg reported that for dozens of these coins, oh, that's right. they had not been keeping the collateral for them separate and it had instead 
been commingling it with client funds in cold wallets. This comes after Datif Innovation confirmed that Binance Peg BUSD issued on the Binance chain was regularly not backed by adequate collateral in the wallet that was supposed to have it. So there's a couple of things going on here that I think are really important to draw attention to. And then something that's kind of related that I'm going to want to pull us towards. But one, this suggests operational issues and shortfalls because they were not making sure that they had the assets in the right places before these tokens were being issued onto Binance chain. Two, these assets were being stored in these cold wallets. Binance's proof of reserves that was done in December by Mazars, who no longer does cryptocurrency work, compared the balance in the Binance cold wallets to user liabilities to prove they were fully reserved. These B tokens are not customer liabilities, but the assets for them were stored in these cold wallets. So the assets were overrepresented and the liabilities were underrepresented in this analysis for the proof of reserve. So we've got commingling of client and corporate funds, which is already problematic. We have them having these corporate assets in there for the proof of reserves, and we have them just not having evidence of having adequate collateral for these. And while I was looking into this, I read the Binance Proof of Reserves report again, and I noticed there was 2,150 times as much USDC in reserves as they needed to cover user liabilities. They had about $1 million in total user liabilities and well over $2 billion USDC on hand when this report happened. The reason for this seems to be that they announced they were going to be converting all USDC deposits into BUSD. Mm-hmm. but they needed to keep enough USDC on hand to be able to service withdrawals and things like that. However, we have issues again. Namely, one, it suggests that they had over $2 billion of unencumbered assets that they were a- corporate assets that they were able to use to acquire these surplus stablecoins. Because when you hear conversion, what you would expect Binance to do is take the deposited USDC, redeem it, issue BUSD, and have that on hand. But instead, they have billions of dollars in surplus, which means they had to create billions of dollars of extra BUSD without the benefit of being able to redeem that USDC, which suggests Binance has far more liquid unencumbered cash in the banking system than I initially expected. The other problem is that USDC shows up on the proof of reserves again, and there are no customer liabilities in USDC, which means all the USDC they have on hand is corporate funds. They're showing those corporate funds in the proof of reserves again. And as I looked into this even more, I started (laughs) all of their corporate funds are likely stored in the Binance wallets. And we know this because if you go back to their own blog posts, specifically the one entitled Transparency on Wallets at Binance, you hear them claim that they hold all of its clients' crypto assets in segregated accounts which are identified separately from any accounts used to hold crypto assets belonging to Binance. But when you read further down in that same article, you realize they don't mean segregated into a separate account like on the blockchain. They mean they have an internal accounting system that keeps track of how much of the amount in these cold wallets or whatever is client funds and how much is corporate funds. 
Which again mm. brings us back to two issues. One, the proof of reserves almost certainly contains Binance corporate funds, which were used as assets and not represented as liabilities, which s brings into question the claims of solvency that CZ was making after that report was published. Two, the entire ability for that to count as any kind of segregation depends on Binance's ability to maintain accurate internal accounting records. And they had dozens of their B tokens not appropriately managed. They had their flagship Binance peg BUSD stablecoin not appropriately managed to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of dollars. So their entire claimed segregation of client crypto assets depends entirely on Binance having perfect or very, very good internal accounting records, and the former CFO of Binance reportedly was not allowed to even see the Binance books. The yeah. entire thing is fucking bullshit in which you have to place your entire trust into the <laughs> demonstrated lack of ability for Binance to maintain accurate records. Hopefully everybody knows where I'm going with this. Where have we seen this before, right? Where have we seen this before? And if you, if your answer is FTX, you're right. But if your answer is also almost every fraud ever, you're also right. Like Enron was this, WorldCom was this. Most of the major corporate frauds in the past 50 years have relied on accounting fraud to some degree, or at least like significant mismanagement to the point of paying no attention whatsoever, to the point of criminal negligence. And what you're pointing to suggests that I, and we've talked about this with Tether, with other companies, like either what what is happening here is that they're purposely obfuscating to hide something that if it comes out, they know is very bad for their business, which is terrible. And you hope that's not the case. Or they're so bad at corporate management and accounting that they just have completely lost track. And that's terrible too, because you really need these people to be in control of what is happening with, with these funds. We understand, we've seen, we've seen what can go wrong when you're not paying enough attention to what is happening with your, with your funds in your centralized exchange. He's called Sam Bankman Freed. And like, I, I just, this is terrifying to me. I would be scared. It doesn't mean that anything is on essentially unbacked, even though it is unbacked or it's improperly uh, directed funds. It doesn't mean that anything is going to go bankrupt. It doesn't mean that anybody uh, like Binance doesn't have funds to continue operations. It's nothing like that. That is not what the suggestion is. I'm saying the scared part is that they're not paying attention. They are not paying attention and either it's on purpose or by accident and both are bad. That's all I'm saying. And that, and if these people are the ones in charge of your money and you're moving money onto their platform, this should worry you. That's all. It doesn't mean you have to like, this is not financial advice, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but like, uh, it, it just, it, it's troubling. Yes, it absolutely is. And like, I do want to go back to your point of this doesn't mean that the funds weren't there, right? It gives us reason to question it based on Binance's own public statements in this evidence, but that doesn't mean it's untrue. And if we go back to the CFTC case against Tether, one of the things they ended up proving is that Tether was willing to issue tethers against anticipated wire transfers. There's this tendency among cryptocurrency 
companies because they're already operating somewhat in the gray to convince themselves the exact order of operations is not that important. It doesn't matter if you issue them before you get the money in your bank account as long as the money eventually gets to your bank account. It doesn't matter if you have these without the appropriate tokens in the collateral wallet as long as they eventually get there. And I think that kind of idea combined with the fact that Binance has been playing a regulation and jurisdiction hopping game over the last several years where they transfer between these corporate entities so often, I have an intuition that it would be very challenging, even for the current C-level executive leadership at Binance, to really get a solid understanding of the complete financial situation of the Binance empire. There's these suggestions, like this USDC, like these B tokens, like this Binance peg BUSD that suggest there are serious gaps in their record keeping. When you can't get an audit, it's concerning. If, you, if it's clear that you can't get an actual audit and nobody knows where the money is, which again, like this should sound familiar to people. You should be like reacting like, oh, yep, this sounds like FTX. This sounds like Tether. This sounds like Bitfinex. This sounds like it. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. That doesn't mean it ends up the same way. It just means even the even the most powerful and largest players in the industry are doing a piss poor job of maintaining any semblance of being a respectable financial entity. It's especially striking to me because arguably Binance's systemic importance just keeps going up. They're what, like 70% of the volume in cryptocurrency at this point? Yeah, something like that. A complete asset seizure, a shutdown, or an FTX-style collapse of Binance, it's devastating. It's Mt. Gox level. I think that's right. I would perceive that the regulators and law enforcement agents would prefer to work with the largest player as opposed to shut down the largest player. So I don't think, I don't think, I guess we'll find out. So, I think it would be more likely, I think it would be more likely that there would be such drastic mismanagement at Binance that it could have catastrophic failure on its own. I think that is a real possibility just based on what we've seen recently regarding their books. So. I think that is far more likely than regulators and law enforcement agents figuring out a way to shut it down entirely. I I think I agree with you. There was a Department of Justice press conference recently which left a lot of people feeling unfulfilled hmm. because they announced <laughs> that it was going to be the like largest cryptocurrency indictment they had done and it ended up being Bitslato, a Hydra Darknet market connected Russian Chinese exchange that had been laundering the proceeds from this drug trafficking and probably laundering some money for an oligarch somewhere. What's interesting is that since the feds shut down Hydra several months ago, they have seemed to have been working through many of the counterparties for Hydra. And do you mm. know which one is the largest one still standing? Is it Binance? It is. Yeah. So. There's a part of me, especially with Reuters reporting again that they got confirmation that like 300 million went from Bitslato to Binance after coming from Hydra, besides the direct Hydra transfers to Binance. 
Listen, Binance has the former chief of the Department of Justice's MLARS, Money Laundering and Asset Recovery Service, in D.C., metaphorically, I don't know if he's physically there, trying to negotiate a deal for Binance, according to the Reuters reporting. My gut instinct is they're going to get a deal, but there's a part of me that looks at what they did to Bitslotto, and if you end up with Binance being larger than that, how do you publicly justify pursuing one and letting the other go? They seemingly have... <laughs> done done as much with banks and other things before so i agree that I, my only counterpoint would be that yeah that like if we look at how the great financial crisis uh was handled by regulators and law enforcement um you know i think what was it like one one bank was criminally prosecuted it wasn't it like the ch like small community bank for yeah like, and, and, and even they ended immigrants? up not getting <laughs> sentenced we're not getting yeah. found guilty. And so like, well, cause they really were not the ones to prosecute. Um, and so, yeah, you're and, right. Yeah. Money, power, prestige within the, in the industry and the department of justice's hesitancy to cause a collapse of in industry makes me favor Binance getting some kind of deal, especially when you have the former chief negotiating on your behalf. But <laughs> anything is possible. I, I agree with that. Anything is possible. Yeah. I'm not suggesting it's impossible. And that I am not suggesting. Also, the biggest likelihood is that, you know, realistically, Binance is fine and nobody needs to worry, right? Yeah. That's like, I think it's, it's we need to counter all of this with, we're not trying to pull a fire alarm when there is clearly just an oven that's overheated or something. And you just need to turn the oven off or something. But like... We don't know. We don't know what if it's an oil fire in the oven. We don't know. Like, we don't know what's actually going on. So we can't really suggest anything. Yeah, no, we, um, we absolutely do not have, like, a strong reason to believe Binance is insolvent. What we do know is Binance has serious process gaps that they yes. seem to have transparency issues even internally to C-level executives. And there are these strange behaviors and ongoing investigations. That's what we know. But yeah, we're kind of off the rails here anyway. This was supposed to be a bridge discussion about Lazarus Group. Um, and I think we've, we've covered that. Um, if anything else occurs with this, I, this is a story I'd like us to to circle back to at some point um, because I think North Korea is just fascinating and them trying to get their hands so desperately on anything even cash adjacent is a, I don't know, it's a fascinating story to me. So uh, we'll continue to cover this obviously. Um, and let's uh, let's give a shout out to the Lazarus Group for funding Crypto Critics Corner. Thank you guys. Uh, hit that like and subscribe button for all our, Jesus. I really don't want the OCC was, or some shit to come I, after I us. I'm say, absolutely I don't, I don't fucking call joking. From DHS cast. Absolutely <laughs> fucking joking, FBI. Like, Christ Almighty. Um, ay, 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 ay. You just your never inner, know what, you never know what the fuck is. Griffith. I'm going to, you know what? Backtrack here. <clears throat> Let's figure out a different way to end this episode. Um, actually, uh, big news out of Crypto Critics Corner. We have uh, we've created our own bridge on the Cascoin blockchain. Uh, it is it allows you to bridge likes, subscribes, and reviews and ratings and all of that stuff. But you have obviously you have to buy Cascoin to use the bridge. Um, so if you could go ahead buy more Cascoin, it's obviously not available on any currency cryptocurrency exchanges it is 
available on my personal decks, the cast coin decks. So go ahead, buy some cast coin, uh, wire us that money to my personal bank account and, uh, see you guys soon.